Uh, good morning to all of you who are here, to all of you who are watching virtually uh, at this time. It is good to be back with you. If you're wondering who is this guy, uh, if you've forgotten, um, never met before, I am a pastor at the Presbyterian Church in America. My home church is uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Hinsdale, uh, Illinois. My wife and I have lived in the Chicago area for 35 years, and we've spent that time helping our denomination and others to be planting new churches uh, throughout the Chicago area, the Midwest, and then eventually we took on the role of uh, denominational coordinators, so we oversaw church planting for North America, and now I'm focused back on the, the Midwest uh, here just to try to, to shrink things down and so still operate out of Trinity in, in Hinsdale, which is one of the churches we planted years ago. So that's a real quick synopsis of who I am, and I'm glad to be with you to uh, look into God's Word together. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, the very last chapter, or a text in the last chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Uh, and I always enjoy, uh, obviously, being engaged in God's Word uh, with you all, but especially in a text that has been so personally significant for me. This is a text I read early on, many, many years ago, as I'm going to share a little bit later, and it has had a really significant impact uh, in my life, especially early on when I was going through some extremely difficult times, and it's continued to be a, a rock of a text uh, for me over the course of the years. So you, to put it in context, it's at the end of the story of Joseph. Uh, here he's been sold into slavery. He's now been made right hand to Pharaoh. His brothers have come to him. And this is where we pick up the story. Verse 15, hear God's word. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you and worship you this morning. Thank you, dear, for this time together. And we pray, Father, that you would be with us as we look into your word, that it would be words of life to us. For even now, Lord, many of us can hear the rain falling on our roofs, and we really need it. Things are so dry and parched 
everywhere. The farmers need it so much for their crops. So we're grateful for this rain. But it also reminds us that as the rain and snow come down from heaven, don't return without giving life. Giving life. So it is with your word. That it's, we pray will not return to you empty, but it will give life to us where souls might be dry and parched, where we might be thirsty. Lord, we need life from you. So please, let your word not return to you empty, but let it accomplish that which you would purpose. Prosper in the thing for which you sent it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, one of the lessons that we learn, one of the hard lessons that we learn as we go through life, is, it, is that life just isn't fair. Sometimes it can get really messy and really hard. Sometimes, from a human point of view, it can just seem to just downright stink. There's a movie of that title, actually. But we see all around us in our experience, you know, a world that is just such a fallen place, full of just cruelties and injustices and terrible things that are happening to people all the time. We don't need a whole lot of people to convince us of that because we're living in the midst of seeing so much of it going on in this world right now. And people being hurt, maybe, who weren't doing anything wrong, they weren't hurting anybody else. They might even have been trying to do the right thing, but they suffered for it anyway. As the saying goes, no good deed goes unpunished. And that can just sometimes seem to sum up life itself. And this really, I remember hitting me at one point in time years ago. I was watching the Olympics. And it was the Summer Olympics, and it was uh, the gymnastics portion, and it was the, the, the vaulting um, um, competition that was going on, the women's vault uh, was happening. And the American uh, got up there, uh, she ran, she landed on the vault, went up in the air, and then ended up landing flat on her back. And everybody's like, oh, oh my goodness, you know, how awful after all that training and work. And so after recovering, she went back, took another run at it, did it, the same thing happened all over again. It was just awful. You just, she felt terrible, and we felt bad for her, this sort of thing. Well, the next day, uh, as the, you know, when they came back on the Olympics, they had this story that what had actually happened for her is that the people in charge of the equipment had actually set the vault two inches too low. And it had ruined, thrown off all of her timing, all of everything else that she had worked on. And she didn't get a second chance at it. It was over. It was done with. All that uh, years, uh, almost a lifetime of training and practicing for that moment was ruined because someone made a mistake and set that thing too low. And of course, everybody was outraged. Everybody felt terrible uh, for her. But the fact, the hard, harsh reality is these kind of things happen all the time. This is the way life can be in the world. And that was hard for me then. It's still sometimes hard for me now. We live in a world where wrongs and injustices are happening all the time. People are getting what they didn't deserve. You think about people who have, you know, they've been imprisoned or gone to death row for a crime they never even committed, and DNA eventually shows that that's the case. 
Uh, you get to see people who are victims of, uh, of drive-by shootings. Uh, you get people hurt and killed by drunk drivers. You know, during the winter, you can walk downtown in the city, and you better be careful sometimes because there's the stories of chunks of ice falling off those tall buildings, falling on people and killing them. I mean, that's just the kind of world we live in. It can get crazy, and it can drive us crazy if we let it. These things actually accumulate in life. Either we hear the stories or they happen to us or both, and they can, after a while, as they accumulate, they can leave us feeling really bitter and cynical. They can make us angry, broken people when this kind of stuff just piles up in our lives. And we cry out at various times, why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why does God let this stuff happen? It's not fair. These are questions that one time or another, maybe many times, we have found ourselves grappling with in our lives. And I found myself grappling with at one particular point in my life. I was in college. I had grown up playing sports, lots of sports. I played football, uh, all-state in football and baseball and this sort of thing. I was off playing baseball for the University of Arizona at that point in time. I uh, had been a sports star, uh, all sorts of colleges and uh, universities that asked me to play for them, uh, all this kind of thing. During the summer months, I was playing for, for teams sponsored by the Atlanta Braves and all this kind of stuff, and the future just looked so bright, and everything was just falling into place for me. And I enjoyed being a star. People seemed to like me, and they treated me nice. Uh, I got articles written, interviews, that kind of thing. Baseball and football were important to me because it made me at least feel important. I was a somebody. People seemed to notice and care. But one day, I was seriously injured. I was a pitcher in baseball, couldn't do that anymore. Couldn't play sports anymore. End of my career, whatever future was supposedly in front of me, was gone. I ended up leaving the university, ended up working for a landscaping company, putting in uh, people's bushes and sod for their yards and this sort of thing. And I remember being out there, working in people's yards, just angry and bitter. And the thing that made it worse that I had recently become a Christian. I had given my life to Christ. I decided I wanted to follow him as my Savior and Lord. And I remember almost literally shaking my fist at the heavens and saying, is this how you treat people who believe in you? You just take away their dreams? You ruin their lives? That's how I felt. I was lost. I felt hopeless. My dreams were crushed. There was no future for me. This is why the story of Joseph is so important and relevant to our lives. It's so much more, I think, than just an interesting story, which it is. 
It's a story that's the perfect illustration of how hard and sometimes unfair life can be, or at least seem to us. But at the same time, it shows us how God is sovereignly and graciously in charge of it all. And somehow, in due course, bring good out of bad. You know the story of Joseph. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. Now, I admit he was a bit of a jerk. I understand that he really irritated his brothers and is the father's favorite and all that kind of stuff. But bottom line, getting sold into slavery to Egypt is a little harsh and really unfair. But all things considered, things go pretty good for Joseph in Egypt. He starts making something of himself until he is falsely accused by his master's wife of trying to come on to her, of trying to seduce her. He is falsely accused, thrown into prison again, and left to rot for something he didn't do. He was even trying to do the right thing, as a matter of fact. He was trying to obey his God, be faithful to his master. It gets all thrown and twisted around. He gets thrown into jail. And you can imagine how he felt. The questions that he had to have asked. The despair he experienced. Why is this happening to me? Why is God doing this? I don't deserve it. It's not fair. Now, eventually, of course, he gets set free because we can interpret dreams. And becomes immensely successful as Pharaoh's right-hand man, the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Now, at this point, there's a great famine that embraces that part of the world. And so his brothers have to come to Egypt to buy grain, And they're all eventually reunited. And Jacob and his brothers and their families all come and settle in Egypt. And you kind of think it's going to be happily ever after. And the scene now at the very end of the story of Genesis is that Jacob has died. And his brothers are scared stiff. Because now they think he's going to take his revenge on them. Dad is out of the way, you know. And so they first send him a message in verses 16 and 17, reminding Joseph of Jacob's requests and asking their forgiveness. Remember, he told you to be nice to us. He told you to forgive us. Please remember his words. Then they come to him himself, and they humble themselves before him. And this brings us to Joseph's wonderful response. Words that changed my life. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
This is the climax of the story. And it contains, I think, one of the most important lessons for our lives. One that we must learn. Yes, life is unfair and hard. Terrible things happen all the time. But we must also learn that in and through everything that occurs, God is sovereignly and graciously in charge of all things, and he causes all things to ultimately work out for our good and for his glory. This whole story in this text right here is a classic statement of the providence of God in human lives, in human affairs, even in a fallen world, especially in a fallen world. And that is that through everything, Joseph has come to learn that God is sovereign, God is in control over all events, good and bad, and that he's causing everything to work out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, as Paul himself will state later in Romans 8.28. This is why Joseph, in the end, it's amazing to me, he is not beaten down. He is not broken by life's hardships and injustices. He is not consumed with bitterness and self-pity and why he is not seeking to avenge himself even though now he's got the opportunity and the means to do so. He's going to leave any, wrong, any, in, any justice that needs to be served, the righting of any wrongs that need to be righted, he's going to leave it to God. Such a wonderful critical, practical truth for our lives that can shape or reshape our entire perspective on the world and things that happened in our lives. And it was so true for me. So hurt, so angry, so bitter in those months and even years that followed. And yet now I can honestly stand before you and one of the reasons I do stand before you today is because God proved himself good and faithful, and I can honestly say it would not change a thing. Would not change one thing that happened over the course of the, then that experience, over the years that have followed. The people that I have met, the family that he has given me, the experiences that I've had, what God has done in me, through me, this sort of thing, I could not change. I could not understand then that God was at work. I could only begin to see the pieces start coming together later on down the road and go, oh, sorry, just didn't see that happening or any of this coming to pass. To put it another way, Joseph has come to see the two sides of every human action and every event that happens in our world. The two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, he understands you meant it for evil. He says it point blank. He sees, he understands, we live in a fallen world where bad things happen to good people, where people do bad things to each other. And he has an accurate, realistic view of life and of human nature. He sees the sinful human side in his brothers, how all of his troubles began as a result of their selfish and evil actions. And he does not minimize it or sugarcoat it at all. He doesn't pass it off. He doesn't say, well, you know, now things have really worked out great, you know, and all's well, that ends well, that kind of thing. Boys will be boys, none of that. He tells it like it is. 
He acknowledges that what they did, they are accountable before God for their actions. Not him, they're accountable before God. And that's why, on the other hand, he also sees the hand of God working through their sinful choices to bring about his good, acceptable, and perfect will and everybody's benefit. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And he realizes now, I am not in Egypt by accident at all. I'm not here as a result of arbitrary circumstances or even human volition. I am here as a result of God's handiwork. And I'm here for a specific purpose, to save his people. Because if I'm not here in this position, we're all going down. All of us. And he says this, chapter 45, he's already begun to realize God didn't, he sent me here ahead of you, ahead of everybody for this purpose. The point is, when it, even when nobody could imagine it, God had had all the strings in his hands from the beginning. And, and, and Joseph, and rarely in any text of Scripture, does he ever try to explain how all this works. How we can have both human action and responsibility and free will, which he fully acknowledges, or also, on the other hand, God's sovereign providence. He simply asserts the life principle, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. They're like, they're both true, and they're like both ropes and the pulley. Uh, and, and you've got to hold on to both of those realities if you're going to keep your balance. If you're going to keep your equilibrium in this world, both things are true. How they intersect, how the dots connect, I don't know. Never been able to figure that out. But they're both true. And we see it even in a classic text in Acts, chapter 2, verse 23, when Peter at Pentecost preaching to the Jews, says, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of evil men. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. It's a classic statement. The classic case of God bringing good out of man's evil actions, out of things that were bad, things that were unfair. I mean, was there anything more evil and unfair than what they did to Jesus? But they meant it for evil, and God brought the greatest good that there could ever be. Joseph, therefore, doesn't deny their guilt. And now that he sees that they are that they are genuinely sorrowful and repentant. He points them to the truth of God's sovereign providence and thereby assures them and us that despite whatever happens, God's purposes are never thwarted. Whether in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, or in our particular lives, there's nothing that can happen to us, to any person that will catch him off guard or, or be beyond his control. You never see God in any kind of position where he goes like, oh, Gee, I wasn't expecting that. You know, hmm, I, I really not quite sure what we do next, folks. Give me a moment. Got to sort this out. I'll get back to you. 
God's never that deficient. Somehow he takes everything because he's been working in it and through it all along, and he weaves it together to accomplish his glory and purposes and our good. And I know it's so hard for us. I couldn't see it at the time. So few of us can see it when we're actually going through the hard times. It's a lesson. If we learn it at all, we tend to learn in retrospect. But it's a lesson we've got to learn. Because it's so very true. It's a lesson we must learn. It's a lesson he learned. And thus he was able to leave the righting of all wrongs to God. And on his part, to be kind and forgiving. He did not try to play God or put himself in God's place. And whenever we refuse to forgive, whenever we find ourselves in a position where we just can't seem to forgive someone else, where we continue to hold on to our anger and hold grudges or even seek to take vengeance, that's exactly what we're doing. We are putting ourselves in the place of God, doing something only God has the right to do because only he knows what goes on. Even if people do horrible things, only he knows what led to that, what's going on in their lives, what circumstances they've been through, or any of the other extenuating stories. Only he knows what real justice needs to be served. And it's like, I am not in that place. I'm not even going there. If there is any justice to be served, if there are any rights to be wronged, that's God's job. It is not me. It is not mine. Instead, because of God's grace, because that God is just, because God is good, I can not only respond with forgiveness, but tangible acts of kindness and love. There's no bitterness on his part, no whining, no complaining, no self-pity, no depression. Instead, he's grace under fire. He has peace and soul. He has self-composure. He is patient and loving. Two things you can always say about our lives. First, God is in your trouble. Whatever it is, God is in it. Whether it's a personal tragedy or disappointment, a sickness, finances, job, relationships, war itself, God has allowed it for whatever reason. Those are his. But the second thing we also know is that God is always up to something. He always has a plan that will bring about his glory and our good. And he calls on us to just simply trust him. When we are faced with crisis or trouble or betrayal or injustice, we can let ourselves be angry and bitter and full of self-pity, or we can choose, and it is a choice, to trust God and be patient, forgiving, and kind. We can even move into a posture of praising and thanking God in whatever prisons in which we have been thrown, not because we're there or are happy about it, but because we know that we serve a sovereign God who ultimately is going to make this all work out one way or the other. And we, so we submit our lives to him and our circumstances, our circumstances to him. It's here that we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And that simply means we always operate our lives by what we know to be true 
not what seems to be true. But one last point. As already pointed out, the greatest example of all of this is found in Jesus Christ. In many ways, Joseph and his story parallels and even points us to the story of Christ. Jesus is a victim of the harsh, unjust actions of men. Again, what did he ever do to deserve what he got? He deserved just the opposite. Talk about no good deed goes unpunished. What he experienced was truly unfair. Yet God was in control, working his plan for his purposes and for the good of the world. As we're told in Acts, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. Why did he do that? So that we might have life. So that our sins could be forgiven. That we could be restored to a relationship with the God who created us in the first place. And begin to live life as it was created. we were created to live it. To be brought back into that relationship with God. He did it so that we might be, be saved and have life. Why did he do it with Joseph? We're told in order to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's what God has done for us in Jesus. The saying is sure, worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is all we now, why we can respond to our troubles with confidence and calm, peace, hope, and faith. We can look at Joseph. We can look at Jesus. And we can look now at all we have in him. This is where we find our hope, our security, our peace. Ultimately, this is where we find resolution for our fears, our confusion, and our hurt. We know all of this because of who our God is what he has done for us in Jesus. Have you trusted him as your Savior? Have you given your life to him? Made him the great shepherd of your soul? And know that he is the God who is going to be ordering your life for only, ultimately, that which is for his glory and your good. Today you have an opportunity to make that response. And if this has been your response, this is a day for you to be encouraged in your faith for the roots to go a little deeper, for you to remember who our God is and what he has done for us and find hope and peace and joy in that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your word, words of life and love and truth, and goodness. Thank you so much, Father, that in these words we can find perspective and hope for our lives. Lord, please let these words sink down deep into all of us. As they have impacted mine, I pray that they will impact everybody here. Thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus. Thank you for redeeming us from our sins, making us your own. Lord, we have the whole world before us now. We have a hope and a future. We have eternity. We have you. Amen.